Hashtag Pistons Podcast. I'm Joe. I'm your host. Joined, as usual, by Kuka Hill. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore truck. Uh, just recently, uh, when this comes out, it will have been yesterday, wrote a piece for Piston Powered about Langston Galloway and the potential impact him having a resurgence could have on the Pistons season. Um, you can find Kuka Hill on Twitter at Kuka Hill NBA. He is, of course, the site expert, editor-in-chief of Piston Powered. Um, and he writes stuff all the time there. So I don't know what your latest piece is, but uh, it's he's always writing stuff there. So obviously we're coming into this. It's about it's a little past 1130 night after the game here on Monday night. The Detroit Pistons defeated the Indiana Pacers 113-109. Um, standout stat lines for the Pacers. Boyan Bogdanovich had 25 points. Darren Collison had 21 points and five assists. Uh, Demonis Sabonis had 23 points, seven rebounds off the bench for the Pistons. Andre Drummond had the monstrous 26 points, 16 rebounds, nine of which were offensive along with two steals and three blocks. Blake Griffin got a triple double with 20 points, 10 rebounds and 10 assists. Luke Kennard had 19 points off the bench. Langston Galloway had 13 points off the bench. So good win. The score was, does it was, the game was not as close as the score indicates, um, the Patriots never really let the game slip away, but the Pistons were in control of the game most of the way, I would say. Although this was a really strange game, it got a little chippy at the end and some other stuff. Um, but Koo, just give any sort of general thoughts on the on the game tonight. Um, biggest takeaway, Andre Drummond is a demon. Uh, he's been way better on defense this year for anybody who's still stuck in this, who has failed to update their opinion. He's no longer that inactive defender or someone you can just complain about he's been really he's been improved this year and in this stretch that me and joe have been talking about over like the last month and a half he's just been extraordinary um and he set the tone defensively from the very beginning of the game um other than that you know blake had a triple double he's struggling from the he struggled from the field a bit but the good thing is, is that we're stringing along these victories with blake not playing uh heroic like he was before and that's not a problem uh, i'm sure we'll talk about it but i don't have as big of a problem with it let's then... just let's just screw it let's just scoop right into that so um this is our okay. second take we had some issues the first time so we restarted so and we didn't get to this so instead of just repeating ourselves right away we could talk about something different shake things up a little bit here all right um so i'm blake griffin okay there's sort of two things with him that are sort of concerns or maybe it's it's not to the point where it's a real concern. It's only been three games, but something to watch that if it continues could be a concern, I suppose, would probably be the better way to put it. But the first thing is, like you said, okay, obviously earlier in the season or I, the rest of the season before like a week ago, Blake Griffin had an almost comically huge offensive load, um, usage rate through the roof, touches through the roof, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. By every metric, dude was being asked to do a ton. He was having an absolutely Herculean effort every single night that was required from him. And that's not really been the case, certainly in the three games since the All-Star break now. And I wonder, slash, I'm a little worried about the potential for some fatigue setting in with him. Because first off, it's just anybody would potentially be having some issues with fatigue, having the sort of offensive load that he's had. But beyond that, even remember Blake Griffin has not really been healthy this far into a season and played this many games in a season in like 
five or six, not five or six, like four or five years. I'm going to actually double check that number here real quick. Blake Griffin has now played in, if it loads, Blake Griffin has played in 56 games this season. He's almost surpassed the last time. So in the 2014-2015 season, he played 67 games. Other than that, 16-17, he played 51. So he's on pace in the next couple of weeks to play more games than he has since the 2013-2014 season. Like, (laughs) you know, that's a... And he's playing more minutes also per game than he has since his second year in the league. So, or third year, because he didn't play at all his first season. Um, so it's just, it's not unrealistic to think that he's potentially experiencing some fatigue. Um, what do you think about that, Coop? Um, what do I think about what him experiencing fatigue or do I think it's concerning? I mean, any, anything and everything. Uh, I don't. I'm not very concerned about it. I'm not. Wor- I mean, it's just like you said. It's only been like what two, three games that he's been struggling, and it's not like he's not. He's finding other ways to contribute. Still, like he had a triple double today, um, and he's still shooting. Like you brought it up a couple pods ago. I don't know when it was, but that you know, as he was shooting, we thought that you know maybe he could be an average three point shooter. He's been a really good three, uh, like a really good shooter, and you've been thinking, well, maybe he falls to earth, and he just hasn't. And even with him struggling, he's still shooting the ball from deep lights out. Like tonight, he shot 5 of 10. He was 6 of 18 overall from the field. And five of them were threes, and he shot 50% on them. So I'm not as much worried about it. He's probably just, like you said, just feeling fatigued. But when you say the word concern, I take it as you mean like going forward, worrying about anything moving forward with him. And I'm not, I'm not worried about it very much at all. I think it's just a little stretch. He's played absolutely like out – out of this world until like last week. So I'm not really worried about him having a, a couple down games out there playing just out of his mind for the majority of the season. Okay. That's fair. Um, that's certainly what we're, we're all, we all should be hoping for. Um, I'm not, I lean towards that. It's just kind of a thing for a couple of games and it's going to be all right. I'm not, I don't think he's that fatigued yet. Um, they have made sure to give him a couple of rest games. And also, he's pretty well known as a guy who really keeps himself in shape. So, uh, But just something to monitor over the coming weeks as to whether or not, you know, this is just a three-game stretch where he just hasn't done as much or if it sort of continues. And then sort of connected to that is another thing, is that could potentially be a real test of this team's chemistry. So, as we've talked about before, Reggie Jackson is really starting to feel himself, really starting to feel like himself, really starting to get going, which is a very, very good thing for this team, obviously. Exceptional thing for the team. It's one of the best things that's happened. Not even. It's probably the best thing that's happened this season is that Reggie Jackson is starting to play like himself. The issue is that Reggie Jackson's starting to have the ball quite a bit more, and that means Blake Griffin's having it quite a bit less. And... I wonder if there's going to be a point where there's going to be some real friction between those two as a result of it, because so far this season, Blake Griffin has very clearly been the guy and Reggie Jackson has very clearly openly and vocally deferred to him at every chance. And the reality is that that's much easier to do when you're Reggie Jackson and you're like, my knees just ain't able to do it right now. You know, you're just, no, you can't, you can't do what you want to do. Now that he's starting to feel good, 
starting to feel better, I wonder if he's going to start to think, you know, I actually, I'm actually starting to feel like I should actually get the ball a little bit more here. And, you know, sort of connected to that, we know that Reggie Jackson is not always the, not always the easiest guy to play with. We've heard a lot of good things about him. Um, There's a lot of people who think highly of him, but it's just, it's a little bit of a thing. And so I just, I guess as much as anything, the three games since the All-Star break, when Jackson and Griffin has been on the floor, I dare say Jackson may well have handled the ball in his hands more than Blake Griffin has. And I'm curious if at what point this is going to start to be an issue for Blake. And not even wrongly so. I'm We both like Reggie Jackson a lot here, but Blake Griffin's better than Reggie Jackson. We want the ball in Blake Griffin's hands. Um, so I'm just kind of, I do wonder a little bit if that's going to be an issue or not. What do you think? Um, I think it's going to, I agree with you. Someone we're going to have to listen to, or not listen to watch moving forward, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of feel confident about it because we were saying the same thing kind of just about at the beginning of the season and Reddy Jackson did, I mean, you said it earlier. I don't know if you said it in your tweets or in one of your articles, but you know, it's different when you just can't do those things. So then you're like kind of forced into having to play that role because you can't, you can't really say my place backing up my talk. So he, whether that had something to do with it, I want to believe that he's just, he's maturing as a player and he, he'll, he understands that he's not as good as Blake Griffin. And I think Blake Griffin understands as well that we need Reggie Jackson in order to be what we're doing right now, in order to be the team we are the past like month right now. So it's definitely going to be something to watch moving forward. Am I concerned about it? It's it's slightly concerning, but until I see something that – until we start to see anything on the court that shows us that, you know, this could be a problem, I'm, I'm going to lean to the good side and just assume that Blake and Reggie are both mature enough, and especially Reggie, who's – Joe can speak to this. We both have watched him mature since he got traded here in 2015. It's He went from being the – the guy everybody talked about in the Thunder locker room who was a cancer, and we've watched him grow into a leader for us and a very mature player. So I'm gonna I'm gonna lean with the side that it's gonna be okay, but it's definitely something to watch as the season goes on and we keep and Reddy Jackson continues to what play well. What do you well. think would be for those two guys? Now that we know Reggie Jackson really is starting to be back, right back feeling like himself. This isn't just. I think it's at the point where we can officially say this isn't just a, he's having a decent stretch of play. Like you can see it just in the way he's moving, for instance. Um, he had that huge dunk the other night. And the night, even though he actually, ironically, he actually missed them both, but he had two different plays where he went up and tried to finish a layup over top of Miles Turner. He missed both of them. But like Reggie Jackson has not hit a layup like by just jumping over someone in a long time. And he was going for that twice tonight. So now that we know that he really truthfully is on the come up, what do you think is the right balance between those two guys? I think, I I mean, I think we're doing Dwayne Casey has done a good job of it or not just Dwayne Casey, but just the team in general have done a good job of it since he's been feeling himself. We've seen, um, well, not this game because Reddy Jackson. I mean, Reddy didn't really struggle. I guess. I mean, he shot a little worse from the field, but 
besides this game, I mean, Reggie's been playing a decent size, uh, decent amount of time on the court. And I think we've just done a good job of it so far with, you know, you've been seeing Blake come out the game. We've been staggering some minutes. I think it's just continue to let Reggie Jackson run some pick and rolls with Andre. And a lot of this, like you said, a couple of podcasts ago, Reggie Jackson is just making a lot more shots now. So along with that, he's, he's still playing off the ball still. It's not like his usage rate has just jumped extraordinary, uh, extraordinarily high. He's still playing off the ball some, and he's just making more shots, and he's getting better and better shape. So I think we've done a good job of it. I think we should just keep doing what we've been doing until it becomes an issue with Blake well, or Reggie. Just because you brought up his usage rate. Um, because Vincent Ellis has brought that up as well, is that not only is Jackson's usage rate not gone way up in this stretch, I think it's actually stayed pretty much the same or even been a little bit lower. Um, and Vince obviously was using this to portray the idea that, which is an idea he's kind of pushed all season, which is that, you know, it's just a matter of Jackson's just playing better now and that before he was just playing really poorly. But it's actually not really true because of the way that usage rate is calculated so we're going to do a little bit of basic math here about and learn if you don't know how this advanced stat is how you get to it so usage rate attempts to quantify the percentage of possessions you use while you are on the floor you use a possession by hitting a shot missing a shot assisting on a shot or turning the ball over. What is missing from usage rate there, Koo? Say that again. You get you use a possession by missing a shot, hitting a shot, assisting a shot, or turning the ball over. Or drawing a foul. I don't know, Joe. What is it? If you pass to a guy and he misses the shot. So... As a result of that, guys who pass more are always going to have sort of artificially low usage rates, whereas guys who are more finishers are going to have inflated usage rates. So, for instance, okay, a guy who would have 10 assists in a game would have the same usage rate as someone who had who took 10 shots in a game. Right. Obviously, getting 10 assists in a game is much more impressive than taking 10 shots. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you're probably made at least 20 passes to get those 10 assists, two shots. So it's actually an indication because we obviously we have the eye test to know Jackson's been used more. He's been doing more stuff. He's been more involved. And yet his usage rate has stayed about the same. It's because they put him in positions where he's allowed to be a passer more. And that actually is backed up by some other advanced stats. His assist rate has jumped up. Um, his turnover rate has gotten lower, which is absurd. He's had an absurd assist-to-turnover ratio in the stretch. But that's really the key, is that they've used him as a passer a lot more, which is going to result in him actually not necessarily getting a big jump in his usage rate because that's just how that stat works. But he's definitely been touching the ball more, been handling the ball more, and it's really been a good thing for him. Um, yeah, I mean, do you have anything else you want to say about that before we move on? Nope, that's about it. Okay, so let's talk about next thing here, okay? You touched on it earlier. Andre Drummond is a demon. That's what you said. <laughs> you care to elaborate on this at all? 
not for anybody who doesn't understand when I say demon, calling someone a demon is pretty much call, it's like it's pretty much calling them a god. Like they're just playing out of their mind. They're just doing like a bunch of teed stuff, just getting just just getting lit out there pretty much. So that's what a demon is like. So Andre Drummond's been playing like a demon recently. That's that's how I say it. If you don't understand uh the use of demon, I'm sure they have What's that? What's that uh, dictionary that like has all the slang? It, it like Urban Dictionary. Yeah, Urban Dictionary. I'm sure you can go look it up, up over there, and they probably have a little definition of it. Yeah. So, I mean, like he had two blocks in the third quarter on Demonis Sabonis that were utterly absurd. Where Sabonis was driving to the hoop, and he put up a shot, and Andre just swatted the the soul out of him, like. The sort of blocks that people don't just do. Other people don't do these things. You talk about the one he threw off the backboard? Yeah, two of them. Just the other one he swatted over to the sideline, then he went and caught it. Yeah. Just utterly absurd defensively. Offensively, he was awesome too. He had nine offensive rebounds. Nine. That's crazy. Most but Joe, teams he didn't play don't very well nine offensive rebounds. Yeah, in the third quarter, he had he had a couple he had one possession that he played pretty lazy defense, I gotta say. It was pretty bad. He also had yet another steal that went for a breakaway dunk. I mean, this man is just utterly absurd. He is on another level right now. Uh we've ranted a ton about how he's being misused, and we've talked a ton about how he's being used better now. He's getting assisted in a lot more of his baskets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Regardless of reasons, Andre Drummond is absolutely on one right now. And it's been huge for the Pistons. It's been great for the Pistons. And it's been a ton of fun to watch as well. So You know, you know something that we haven't we haven't touched on lately. I remember like towards the very beginning of the season, we were getting mad about the fact that Dwayne Casey had him playing drop coverage and so far back in the pick and rolls. That hasn't been the case recently. He's been letting Andre Drummond get a little bit more handsy in the pick and roll. And I, I absolutely love that because Andre Drummond has some – he gets his hands on the basketball more than I've ever seen. Like, he gets – like, I don't know any other big man that just gets that active and just touches the ball as much as he does on defense. Like, what what is he – like, isn't it only Anthony Davis who has 1.5 uh, – Steals and 1.5 blocks are above 6'10". Anthony Davis is the only the other guy in the NBA who mixes blocks and steals at the same level that Andre Drummond does. Last year, those and were the only two guys not- that were in the top 20 in the NBA in both blocks and steals. This year, Andre Drummond is, I believe, ninth in blocks and 11th in steals. And he ranks higher than that in total deflections. So, Yeah, I was just about to say, that doesn't even take... I was going to say, that doesn't even take into account all the ones that he just tips and uh, we don't get the ball. Like the dude has been, he's been absurd recently on defense and he's been just improved all around all season on defense. So that's, I just want to give Dwayne, like Joe says, we're a fair podcast over here. So I want to give Dwayne Casey some credit for, for not having him drop back as far as he did at the beginning of the season, letting him get free and get active in the pick and roll. Cause that's I I think he excels in that area. Of and well, course. on that on that note is that so there's some things that we've given Dwayne Casey some credit for that is a little bit begrudgingly. So, like for instance, running more pick and rolls with Jackson and Drummond, 
it's a little bit begrudgingly because it's like, why on earth were we not doing this from the start? Like, why did you think Andre Drummond as a pure post-up player was a good idea in the first place? But with the Andre Drummond drop coverage, especially with how it's gone as the season has moved on, I think it's probably fair to say that earlier in the season, he had the license to sort of do this sort of stuff that he's doing now. He just was not comfortable enough in the, you know, it's a, it's a totally different scheme from what he, they were doing last year. I think that as much as anything, it's not Dwayne Casey saying, okay, you can go do this stuff now. I think it's just Andre needed time to get comfortable in, in the scheme and exactly what his role was when he was okay to take gambles, when he should say, stay home, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think I look, we don't know for sure. This would have been a good thing to ask Rod actually, when we had him on. Um, but, and we're going to talk about that podcast a little bit later about a couple of things in it, but I think it's probably fair to assume that that as much as anything, that's just Andre getting more comfortable with the defensive scheme, which is just kind of a reality of a player getting a new defensive scheme. So it's not, I guess basically here's what I'm trying to say. It was, it was very bad at the start of the season. It was very frustrating. We complained about it, but looking back now and you look at the way that Andre has just sort of slowly but steadily gotten better and better on the defensive end and looked more and more comfortable, it probably wasn't really anyone's fault at the start of the season. The reality was they put in a new scheme and it just took Andre a while to really catch on to it. And that's that's how sports work sometimes. So, But like you said, whether it's because that's just what he's been allowed to do, he's just more comfortable, or Dwayne Casey has given him more license to do stuff, he has been on another level. He's been getting in passing lanes more, et cetera, et cetera. He's been great. There's no other way to put it. Um, he has been the anchor of the defense in a big, big way. It's really been impressive. So I don't know if you want to say anything else on that or not. But No, Andre's just a demon. He's just been it, – it, and it, it couldn't have came at a better time, by the way, because me and Joe have hinted at – has mentioned this on the pod about the little civil war that took place on Pistons Twitter. And it, along with the Derek, me being right about Derrick Rose, this is another thing that's right up there that I'm just so happy to be right about. That one of the things that, you know, if I'm right about something, I'll just say, yeah, I'm right about. It. But this is one of those things I'm just so happy that we were right on, and it and it popped up as soon as the Civil War took place because now it's funny just to watch one people go quiet, and then two people just just go searching in the sea for something, anything to try to pull out and and use for themselves it's just it's great to see yeah and you know we're not trying to we're not trying to call out specific names but uh andre drummond is better than ed davis i just wanted to make sure that we're clear on that um he's better than ed davis he's better than alex len he's better than you know, whichever guy you want to put in there. Who was the other one? Noah Vonley. Yeah, he's he's better than those guys. And I think we can probably just leave it at that. Um, yeah. And the suggestions that he wasn't was utterly absurd at the time. It's almost embarrassing that those words came out of some people's mouths. And we bring this up because... These were not just, you know, randoms on Twitter with three followers. These were people in at least semi-prominent positions as Piston in the Pistons Twitter sphere. And anyone who thought that should be embarrassed. You should feel bad that you thought for even a moment 
that Ed Davis contributed more to winning basketball games than Andre Drummond. (laughs) That was a terrible take. It was absurdly dumb at the time. And holy smokes, does it look even dumber now. And you know what? You deserve every ounce of criticism that comes your way. I've mostly tried to avoid it. I'm going to continue to. I took a snipe at someone tonight, um, but I'm, I didn't get what into it. it. What I didn't it? get into it, though. <laughs> what, um, what was it you said? I'm gonna, I'll, take, I'll take this, this tweet. Yeah, the well, so <laughs> there was a tweet that said at the start of the third quarter, um, Andre had one defensive possession, that, and it was pretty bad. Um, the Pacers got an offensive rebound, kicked it out for a three, all right? and he kind of blew it on both. He didn't. He kind of lazed on the offensive rebound did, on the rebound. Didn't get it. Then didn't even try to close out on a three point shooter. Right. So he blew that play, and immediately there was a tweet that said, "We are getting hot garbage, Andre Drummond, in the third quarter." And then Andre Drummond proceeded to the rest of the quarter. In just that quarter, I think he finished with like twelve points and two blocks and six rebounds or something like that. Like utterly dominated, and he played the whole quarter. And so I just responded to him, I will take tweets that aged like fine milk for 500, Alex. And, <laughs> but that, that, look, I'm not trying to get into any big arguments over it. We did this. Yes, no, we did that a while ago. I actually am pretty firmly of the opinion. Um, and I think, honestly, the last time that I actually had to do this was about KCP with people on Reddit is that there were some people that constantly were so upset with me about the fact that I did not believe KCP was the next (laughs) great two-way wing in the NBA. There were a lot of people that really did not appreciate my sentiments on that. And it got to a point that I was just like, look, clearly we disagree. I think you're being real stupid. But And I was proven to be correct on this account, by the way. But regardless of that, I was like, I think you're being real stupid, but we've had this argument before. We've gotten real heated about it before. I'm just not going to do it. And I think in particular with other people in Pistons Twitter, I'm just not going to get into it. Um, But that's all I'll say. If you thought truthfully that Ed Davis was better than Andre Drummond, you should probably do some serious thinking about yourself because that was really stupid to think. And also, it actually is as simple as they're using him smarter now. They're doing the things that we were desperately clamoring for them to do, like use him as a role man, throw lobs to him, not have him post up constantly, not have him just be a garbage man, get him involved in the things he's good at. And voila, he's been really good. Funny how that works out, huh? When you play to a guy's strengths, he starts to play well. Who would have guessed, huh? Oh, Koo got his hand raised. What do you want to say, Koo? <laughs> I like that. I'm gonna start using that more. I didn't think you'd notice it immediately. <laughs> but but what's it called? Also, I just want to say this. I have to give Andre some credit with this one. Even when he has gotten the ball in the post, he still gets it like every now and then. Even when he has gotten the ball in the post, there's no more of this finesse moves. Like for a good time, a large majority of this stretch, like the past month. He's just been overpowering people. It's been this is one of the things I've I've just really wanted from Andre since we drafted him. It's for him just to realize. My explanation for it was I just didn't think that he realized how big and strong he was. I just I just never thought that he actually like understood how strong he was. 
and he always played. He likes to show off the fact that he has handles and he he's so nimble and he can play like a guard sometimes. But I've always just wanted him just to play strong and do a big power move and just just dominate the guy in the post. And that's what he's done over the past month. Like he did a move. He got his little favorite move he likes to do when he faces up. He wants to go baseline and then he's going to power you up. In the, to start the season, he wasn't going up very strong. For like the past month, I believe he dunked on someone last game doing the move. And today he just completely shoved Miles Turner out the way and just like easily put it up. Probably should have been an and one. Like that's the that does that falls on Andre. That that is just Andre being better and getting himself better. And he deserves credit for that because if he gets if he continues just to play with brute force and just pure power, there's no one that's gonna stop him when he does stuff like that. And he's done that. And he's I feel like he's finally realizing that kind of thing. And maybe it's because Blake's helped him out with it. Maybe Blake's given him a, a, a sense of confidence in that or whatever it is. Whatever happened, he's playing a lot more stronger in the post. And it's if if Andre's going to miss a shot in the post, I'll take that kind of miss every time in the post instead of his well finesse hook shot. I want the drop step straight to the basket, power him up, and just dunk on the guy. Well, there's, a, there's a couple of things with that. I think one thing that's good to remember is that it's easier to do those sorts of things when you're not being asked to do them all the time, right? Like, yeah. I, there's no way around it. They were posting him up a ton earlier in the season. And, like, oh yeah, you know, it's harder to, when you only have a few really good moves, it's harder to do those same two or three things over and over again when you get that many touches in the post, right? Um, and then the other thing to remember is that oftentimes it wasn't as simple as, um, he doesn't realize how strong he is. It's that he didn't want to get fouled, right? Let's make no mistake about that. That's the thing that led to an awful lot of those terrible fading jump hooks is that he didn't want to get fouled. And that only started to change last season. And I think one of the things that started to flip is that it's really gotten to the point where he's not afraid to get fouled anymore. I think that's one of the things that's really been big for him. Um, and that's been sort of all season, even earlier in the year, um, he did a lot more face-ups where he drives into the hoop, right? Instead of those sort of fading, fading jump hooks sort of things. And that has to do with as much as anything that has to do with the fact that he's no longer desperately terrified of getting fouled and going and shooting free throws. And the other thing is that with that specific move you mentioned where he gets baseline Basically, he wants to get between his defender and the baseline and then just wield his ass as a weapon to bot to essentially basically he goes for an offensive rebound. He does the exact same thing he does on that. And I think that's yeah. one of the reasons it works is that he basically, whether it was him, a coach, maybe like you said, maybe Blake Griffin gave him some advice on it. Who knows? But I think that's pretty much what it was, is that they're just like, look, you're quick enough that you're able to beat guys to the baseline which he typically is because he is absurdly quick and has really nice handles for a dude of his size. There's no way around that. Get there and then just do what you do on offensive rebounds. Just back them out, just body them out of the way, and you go up for a layup, basically. And, you know, if you have only, you know, three or four post touches per game, not even that, that's probably actually a lot, I guess. But when you only have a couple of post touches per game, right, it's a lot easier to just be like, well, this is my move. This is what I'm going to do. And another thing that has been helpful is that he started to look for passes more when he gets himself into trouble. 
is that that's been one of his issues. That was his issue earlier in the season in a lot of ways is that he'd get himself into trouble and then he'd force up a bad shot. And he's done a lot less of that now as well. He's done better about, even if it's not like making a really nice or slick pass, he's gotten better about when he dribbles himself into a corner. Essentially, it's like, well, I've got nothing. He he just passes it out, right? He's able to reset it. What did you say? I said decision making. Yeah. Um, And I suppose connected to that, and there was really shot shown off in this game, but it has since the All-Star break and even before that, um, he's and James Edwards tweeted this, that it's been a focus of his of late is trying to make the pass when he's rolling to the hoop. If he gets the ball, if they double onto his role, making the quick pass to the corner shooter. And he made two Multiple. or three of those passes tonight. One of them, I think that was for his only assist was to a bl- to Blake Griffin in the corner for three, but he's been making that pass more. And, you know, with Andre's passing, seriously, he's always been actually a pretty good passer when he looks to pass. Um, I remember, geez, two years ago, um, there was a there was a preseason game where one of the issues with Andre Drummond's post-ups and why has always been that because people know they could just follow him, no one had ever bothered to double-team him before, which was one of the big problems with them. Um, but there's a preseason game a couple of years ago where the team just decided to double him for whatever reason. And he made a bunch of nice passes out of it. And I did a whole post on it. Like, you know, this dude ever gets to the point that he actually draws double teams and is allowed to make passes. He can pass. The issue has always been that he gets too much tunnel vision at times. Right. But when he looks to pass, this guy is really a quite good passer. We saw this obviously in a big way last season with the point center stuff. But so he's starting to look more for that pass. And if he ever like gets to the point where he really has that down, that would be a huge development for this offense. Yeah, that that little the pass to the corner that he was making today, I tweeted about it. He made like multiple back to back. Like it was just it was great to see. And he's done that like maybe he's done it a couple times throughout the season to where I will treat a tweet about it as like a shocking occasion occasion. But this game especially, and it has been happening more as of late, but just this game uh, strictly, he did it a lot, just making the right passes. He made the right passes coming out the post. I remember he had one in the left block. He didn't get where he wanted to. And instead of forcing something up, he just threw a pass out to Langston at the wing. So he's just getting. I think his decision-making is getting a lot better, and he's just getting – I mean, there's no other way. He's just getting better. I think he, we're watching him get better before our eyes, too. And, and that's another thing I just want to say for everyone out there that's listening. I remember there was a tweet at the beginning of the season. Someone tweeted, naming something that Andre Drummond's actually gotten better at since he entered the league. That is also very absurd. That goes on the top of – that goes right next to the things Joe was just talking about earlier that goes right next to the little absurdity things because I, I've had a joy of just watching Andre Drummond improve each year since he came into the NBA, like that dude was so raw when he first came in and I've watched him fine tune and just get better at the, the little things that many people didn't think he'd get better at. So this is just another one of those things at age 25 that you're watching him just get better at. Like that dude just is a hard worker and he just gets better at his craft at some point. You just got to chuck it up to that, that he's a hard worker. He gets better and the Pistons are lucky to have him. Yeah. I mean, on that note, this game you saw illustrated all the things he's improved on. So we've got the corner three passes like we brought up. He hit a nice floater in this game. He had one layup where Blake Griffin passed him the ball as he cut to the hoop. 
and he did like a double clutch up and under layup, right? Like when this dude came into the league, he was a, if you can't touch the net from where you're standing, we do not want you to have the ball. That's what he was when he got here. And the fact that he's come so far really is impressive. And I get that there's probably an extent to which there's nothing he will be able to do to fully impress some people. Um, for some people, they want him to be something like Hakeem Abdul-Jabbar. Hakeem Abdul-Jabbar. I totally mix up their names. I combine them. I Either one of them. Hakeem Olajuwon or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? Um, whatever it is. Whatever. Uh, they want him to be Shaq. Obviously, he's never going to be that sort of post-up guy. Then also there's people who want him to be Ben Wallace on defense, which is another thing that's totally absurd and unfair. Like Ben Wallace, Ben Wallace is probably may well be the best defender to ever live. So if your bar is Ben Wallace on defense, you're going to be awful disappointed. Hate to break it to you. And so there's an extent to which he's never going to satisfy some people, but I find it awful hard to be disappointed in that dude. He's pretty good. Um, But we're almost 40 minutes, so we don't want to go too far because i got to go to bed before too long. But I think to close out, I want to talk a little bit about, so obviously in the last podcast we had Rod Beard of the Detroit News on. And if you haven't listened to that for some reason, go listen to that. It was an awesome podcast, hour and 40 minutes long. Talked about a lot of really good Pistons stuff, and at the end talked a little bit about music as well. But what do you think, Ku, from the questions we asked him, um, what do you think was the most interesting thing that we learned on that show? That's hmm. that's tough. We had we learned a lot of stuff. Um, do you have yours off the top? Um, mine was going to be you know probably what? about the Stan Van Gundy. I, okay, yeah, yeah. About the yeah, whole Stan. Just my big thing was. Well, the biggest takeaway for me was the fact that Stan Van Gundy, because I had said something, I made a post basically talking about how I want Stan Van Gundy to return. And then in the summer, we talked about it on the last podcast, if you haven't listened, so I'm just going to recap it. In the summer, we heard that he was coming back and everyone was tweeting about it. And then a week later, all of a sudden he got fired and or mutually parted ways. So I'm, I was confused about that because we had just been told that he was likely to come back. And then... People were saying, "Oh well, if he came back as a coach, you know, he would, you know, he would have kept his job." And then at the beginning of the season, on the jump, he was interviewed about it, and he said, "Well, I did want to come back as a coach, but they didn't want me to come back." So then it was just like everything was just conflicting stories. There was someone that was either one lying or two just not telling the full story, and it really had me confused because I was on the side of just I wanted to stand back, so I didn't. I wanted to know why he was let go if there was still a sense of wanting him back at least as a coach. And Rod answered that question with, Joe, do you want me to just say what Rod said? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, Rod just, he told us that pro- that there he may, he wanted to come back as a coach, but there was pretty much going to be, like, some things needed to happen for him to come back as a head coach. And he gave an example of if Chauncey Billups were to have become the GM, that just wouldn't have happened because Stan wouldn't have taken a backseat to Chauncey Billups, who's just a former player just a couple years ago. And he would just pull off the, I know more than you. I have better connections, blah, blah, blah. And basically, Stan didn't want to work under someone that he didn't really trust and or respect, yeah. essentially. Basically, um, yeah. And yeah, 
I think that that would have been, that was one of the most interesting things, I think, for me too. And for what it's worth, Rod didn't say that he had some, you know, concrete evidence that this was the case. He just said this was pretty clearly what he thought went on. And that was really interesting to learn because the assumption I had made was basically that Tom Gores is like, we want to redo the front office and go to a more traditional power structure. And Stan was like, okay, but I don't want to be a lame duck coach. So give me a contract. To- oh, Joe just left somewhere. But uh, I guess I'll continue. Oh, this is fun having me as host. But uh, yeah, basically, Rob was just letting us know that um, Stan was willing to come back, but he had there was a certain situation under whether he came back or not. So whether it was, and he gave, Rod gave an example that Jeff Bauer, uh, if he were to come back as a GM, then okay, then Stan probably would have done it. But obviously they wanted to rework the front office, get some other people and have it go from there. And Stan wasn't on board with that. So that was one of my favorite things to hear about because from Rod, because I had been wondering that since the summer, see where like the, the dialogue fell through or where like the rumor started or who was lying, blah, 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 all that. So uh, that that's my favorite thing. And since Joe's not here, uh, I guess I'll just talk about something else I thought was pretty, um, pretty interesting to hear from Rod. Um, of course, Stanley Johnson, he got traded and Joe asked him, Joe asked him about Stanley about, cause you know, Joe has talked about whether, Stanley just wanted out and the Pistons were also wanting him out. So it was just a mutual kind of thing. And I asked Rod about it. Did you get the feeling that, you know, Stanley just wanted out? And he said, well, he doesn't have no concrete evidence like Joe said, but you know, he also got that feeling that Stanley just wanted out. It was just a change of scenery needed to happen. They didn't plan on bringing him back. And Stanley also wanted out. And, that was also, you know, you guys know that I'm a big Stanley Johnson fan, and that was a good closure for me to hear from Rod as well. I think we got Joe back. Joe, you back? No, well, I, Joe's not back then. He's still he's here, but anyways, that was fun to hear from Rod. Once again, if you haven't listened to the, if you haven't listened to the podcast with Rod, definitely go check that out. It was fun. We talked about music at the end, and it was a, he gave us a lot. He just gave us a lot of good insight on the Pistons and a lot of questions. We asked him a lot of questions. It went on for a good hour, I believe, hour and 45 minutes. So definitely go check that out if you haven't checked it out already. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to wrap this up as the host of the Hashtag Basketball Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Once again, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on whatever you're listening to. Once again, you can find me at MBA on Twitter. And you can also check me out on my YouTube Who's ballroom? And once again, thank you guys for listening and go Pistons.